On today's episode of The Pickup, we start off with covering everything NBA playoff basketball. We start off talking about the bright future Suns who are just putting on a clinic right now. And we also talk about what the biggest issue is with the Denver Nuggets. And we talk about some Sixers, some Hawks, some Clippers, some Jazz. We give a live update during the game of the Brooklyn and Milwaukee. A lot of fun playoff talk. And then we picked eight teams that we created a draft for. Me and Drew then each picked four teams from the eight. And they were eight of our favorite teams to watch, whether it was the LeBron Heat, whether it was the Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard Spurs, or the Warriors with KD, Clay, and Steph. That was a great time. And then we talked about the foreign substance issue in the MLB and how the MLB's handling it, how players are handling it. And we rounded off with filling out a college baseball bracket and talking about the Super Regionals. Another great episode, all of that and more coming to you right now on The Pickup. Welcome back to the pickup episode number 22. Uh, we're going to have some back-to-backs actually for you guys. We're going to have episode 22 today and episode 23 tomorrow. So right now we're recording this just around 8.30 on Thursday, June 10th. We've got the Milwaukee-Brooklyn game going on right now. The Utah Clippers game going on later. A bunch of good uh, playoff basketball going on right now. And I'm pumped for it. How are we doing, Drew? Uh, we're doing good. I'm I'm excited for this episode. I think it's going to be a good one. I'm excited to bang out two in a row. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And me and Drew actually were just hanging out the past couple of days, back down in Columbia again. Hit up Charleston for a day two. You know, really good time. So I believe, even though we've just been talking a lot for the past couple of days, that you have another question for me. I do. You know, I tend <laughs> to not ask questions so that I have them for here. Um, <laughs> But my question of the day for you is the Super Regionals coming up this week. They are starting, if I'm not wrong, tomorrow uh, on the 11th. Mm-hmm. It is Fayetteville, Austin, Lubbock, Starkville, Tucson, Columbia, Nashville, and Knoxville. And mm-hmm. my question is, with all of those teams that have been mentioned, there are four states that have multiple teams north yep. carolina tennessee texas and mississippi of mm-hmm. those four states which do you believe is the better combination of teams nc state and ecu in north carolina mm-hmm. vanderbilt and tennessee in tennessee Ole miss and mississippi state in uh, mississippi or texas tech dallas baptist in texas in texas yeah that's tough um I think I can narrow it down pretty quickly to like Tennessee or Mississippi. Um, I think that's pretty easy, but I think I'm just going to go with, I think I'm going to go with Tennessee. I think I got to go with Vanderbilt and Tennessee as a better duo than Ole Miss and Mississippi state, in my opinion, because we know Vanderbilt just has recruits all up and down the board, bunch of really good guys. And I mean, Tennessee is the number three team in the country too. So they're obviously not shabby at all. And I mean, we know how good Mississippi state and Ole Miss is, but I think I'll just have to go with Vanderbilt and Tennessee because those two teams are just so good. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I also believe that I would take Tennessee. You know, it's it's kind of easy, quick to narrow it down to those two, just considering how good the combination of those two teams are in mm-hmm. each state. I just believe that 
Vandy and Tennessee are better all-around teams, top to bottom, yeah. than Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's got pitching, and they can make a comeback in the ninth, where Ole Miss is a little bit of a – you get one or the other sometimes, except for Tim Elko. He's always there. Uh, um <laughs> who now has multiple – he had two grand slams with a torn ACL in the regionals. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see his super regional play, to be honest. Um, and then Vandy, Kumar, Jack, those guys are insane. And then uh, Isaiah Thomas in that order. And um, uh, Bankwell, I think it is, uh, mm-hmm. stole 50-something bases this year. So, I mean, that's an insane kind of combination. You know you got both every day. And then Mississippi State's just power arms, but they're the offensive side of the ball for Mississippi State is sometimes lacking. Yeah. So I'm excited to see how that goes. But like I mean, like we said, the average for Vandy this year was three three hundred. They hit three hundred as a team, and their ERA was under four, which is pretty pretty good average. Yeah. And then Mississippi State hit uh two eighty three and the ERA was just under four. So that, I'm excited to see how that goes. And then Ole Miss hit just under 300 with uh, about a four-and-a-half DRA. So it'll be interesting to see how those teams kind of, you know, play in the Supers and how they look all around. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to talk a little bit more about some college baseball later in the podcast. But now I'm going to go over to Hot Tub and Ice Tub. So I'll start off with my Hot Tub. So one – I'm actually going to put in the hot tub the whole MLB foreign substance thing because I feel like it's gaining traction like to the MLB. It's giving them a lot of attention on national news, and it's just giving the MLB a lot of like TV time that they have not had over the past couple of years. Like This is the biggest thing that has happened in the MLB scandal-wise since the steroid era, what, 20-something, 30-something years ago. And as like much as like confusing, as much confusion as there can be, and right or wrong and just kind of how you feel about that. I think it's good for the sport in general because it's bringing popularity and it's bringing attention. And then Garrett Cole, who was also seems to be one of the guys that was using um, the spider tack. I'm going to put him in the hot tub too. Cause last night, Josh Donaldson saying he was going to put out a list of guys. He was going to rat out that use foreign substances and Garrett Cole struck him out two out of the three times and got him out three out of the three times that he faced Josh Donaldson in the game last night. So Josh Donaldson probably shouldn't have opened his mouth because you know Garrett Cole had a little extra mustard going on all those balls that he had thrown by. But it was really interesting last night though that Garrett Cole's spin rate was the lowest out of any start that he has had over the last two seasons after they came out with the whole new 10-game suspension thing. So that's definitely interesting to see that, but he was still averaging his fastball average. I think it was 98 point something last night, still multiple times over a hundred. But I just think like, as like bad, I I guess, I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of like damned if you do damned, if you don't, when it comes to something like that, like it's really good for baseball to get this popularity from it, but it's also a tough thing for them to deal with. But I think baseball needs the popularity and the media attention more than anything right now. Yeah. I I mean, I, I can kind of see both sides. I think it's kind of a an issue now to where you kind of just have to pick one and run with it. There is no going back from the banning a substance to just being okay with it. You just and Rob Manfred has kind of put the the pace in play, if you will, of a ten game suspension. 
Mm-hmm. So we know where we stand with that. As fans, we understand what's coming. And as athletes and as pitchers in the major leagues, you understand what's going to come your way if you get caught doing it. So I think I still think people are going to do it. I still think they're going to get sneakier and find a way to do it anyway. Um, it'll be interesting to see that. But my hot Wait, tub. Quest, question real quick. So right. we've seen it on the neck. We've seen it on the hat. We've seen it on the glove. You were a pitcher. If you had to try and conceal this somewhere, do you have a specific spot you would try and go to at this point? Like what? Like where would you think to go now? So, and this is strictly just if they gave out um, the uh, what is the cards? The um, the shifts. What's the mm-hmm. little card? I can't remember. I can't think of the name. Scorecard. No, it's the. Um, it's just the cards that all the players have that looks at shifts. The scouting report. Oh, uh, oh okay. they give out those little cards. I yeah. think if 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 the pitcher were to have one, I think you could layer kind of the front side or back side of that with uh, tar, spider tack, whatever, and then mm-hmm. you can go to the th- you can go to that every every at bat. So at least the first little bit you're going to get that, and then it's going to peel off in the back of your pants. So you're going to have it in that back pocket area, I think, is where the next place we're going to see it is. Yeah, something I was thinking about, too, which I don't think you'd be able to get do it too often because it would eventually get noticeable. But, like, if you put it, like, on the bottom of your jersey where it's tucked into your pants and you're just acting like you're repositioning your jersey or, like, retucking in your jersey, and then you yeah. could have it there, too. But if you're retucking in your jersey after, like, yeah. every two or three pitches, then it starts yeah. looking kind of sketch. Yeah, that's that's a that's – a, not a bad idea. It's just harder, like you said, because it's going to get noticed easier, a lot quicker. Yeah, because the spotlight's all on them right now. So. Oh, yeah. But uh, my hot tub this week, and it was kind of a cool thing, is Oklahoma, the women Oklahoma's team, won mm-hmm. the World Series for softball today. Actually, just earlier, they beat Florida State 5-1. to one. Uh, So that was a great – I mean, that was a really, really cool – game to watch uh their pitcher is outstanding and then Giselle Jazar she's a pretty good baseball player or a pretty good <laughs> softball player excuse me she did outstanding again today um and she she actually threw uh 31 innings in the world series so let mm-hmm. that sink in she yeah, pitched 31 innings she had 38 strikeouts and only walked eight and had a 0.89 ERA. Those are wow. DeGrom numbers. Yeah. Those are DeGrom numbers. So it was cool to watch them. Uh, their fifth national championship of uh, in school history. Mm-hmm. So it was a cool, cool thing to watch that today. Earlier, I got to pay some attention to that. But I, I was, I was kind of cool to see how that went for them. Cause Florida state's a good team. Oklahoma was just really overpowering all year. They had one loss in the world series in the uh, whole tournament. And then went on a tear. They had 15 home runs in the college world series, Jeez. which is a record. <laughs> so, I um, mean, it was cool to watch them just really play this game from start to finish in the world series. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's crazy. Impressive. <laughs> so, Going to my ice tub, uh, once again, I hate having to do this. I had to do it last week, 
but we continue to have a professional baseball team in the MLB that probably should not be there, which is sadly my Pittsburgh Pirates just a couple weeks ago. If you remember, Will Craig could have just touched first base to end the inning, decides to get in a rundown with uh, Fernando Tossies Jr. They end up scoring a run off of it. Well, the Pirates are playing the Los Angeles Dodgers a couple days ago, top five team in the MLB, and it would be huge to get out to a first inning jump, right? Cabrian Hayes, our like best young player coming up, probably will be our best player in a couple years, if not already, hits a home run in the first inning. Huge way to get on the board. But what does he do? He forgets to step on first base, circling around it. He oversteps it and steps around the bag on the outside towards right field and just flat out misses it. And the Dodgers challenge it. And it goes from being one to zero in the first inning to being an out. Ridiculous. How are you this old, 24, I think he is, and you miss first base on a home run? Like all you have to do, that's the hardest part about hitting a home run is just touching the four bases. And that's probably the easiest thing you can do in baseball. I I don't understand. It's tough to watch this team. It's tough to be a Pittsburgh sports fan in general these past couple months, whether it's the one in five for the Steelers, the Penguins getting bounced out in the first round the last three years, and then now the Pirates just being a triple-A team, borderline double-A team, playing in the MLB and just making stupid decision after stupid decision, and none of the prospects seem to work out. Mitch Keller's putting up insane numbers in AAA gets absolutely obliterated in the MLB for the last two seasons. And it's just, it's tough, man. It's, it's bad. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's fun for everybody else in the central to watch, but uh, I can see where you're getting at and it's, it's unfortunate because yeah, I root for the Cincinnati team. So we're not too far off. We don't look that bad, but we don't necessarily get any like much better results except we did sweep the Cardinals in a four game, which was big. And we took one of three from the Brewers, which unfortunate, but we knocked them out of first place. So that helps. Yeah. Um, but my ice bath this week is kind of just, I'm going to throw Jokic into the ice bath. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is he won the MVP. That's outstanding. You love that. And then DeAndre Ayton outplayed him in the first game of that series. He just looked better from start to finish in that game, in my opinion. He looked like a better basketball player than Jokic did. So, I mean, to me, it was kind of upsetting to watch the MVP get outplayed and worked by a kid that's 22, 23 years old. So, I mean, it was just kind of interesting to watch that. It was the night after he got MVP, so. Yeah, I mean, it's also tough because Phoenix has so many more playmakers. Like, with Denver, you can literally just double-team Jokic every time or just put your full focus on him because Jamal Murray's out, Will Barden's been out, and there's not really anybody else to worry about. Michael Porter Jr., which we'll talk about here in a minute, had a really bad night um, on that specific game, shooting only 3 of 13 uh, in that last game, which is not good at all compared to where DeAndre is a bunch of guys, but I definitely, I definitely see what you're uh, saying there. And then also, I just thought this was funny. I just want to mention this. Uh, I'm sure if you've been on social media, you've probably seen this, but Nikola Jokic was drafted. I think it was like the 11th pick in the second round. And they were literally playing a Taco Bell quesarito commercial when he got drafted. Like there wasn't even showing anybody on. Like, it's like when you get to the sixth or seventh round of the NFL draft 
and there's just guys that are going like while they're doing commercial breaks and stuff like that. It was like that. And there was a Taco Bell quesarito commercial going on for the guy that ended up being the MVP like six years later. So funny. That is that's, so funny. That's hilarious. The, the best it just like draft little thing is the, the funniest thing is when we were eating, we ate firehouse during rounds three and four of like mm-hmm. the 16 draft or the 17 draft. And we were at firehouse eating when I think it was the Browns had a pick and then they played a firehouse commercial on the TV. And I can't remember who the pick was. I think it might've been, uh, man, it, might, it was a receiver that they got rid of, but yeah. it was, it was so funny because we watched a commercial run while a guy got picked. And that was the first time that like, I really realized that, okay, they do just take breaks. And yeah. then now it doesn't, it does, now it doesn't feel as bad when you're watching the NFL draft, you see a commercial. It's like, Oh, this dude was good. We just didn't get to see him. <laughs> yeah. That would really suck though. Like this is all you've been waiting for your whole life. And like, yeah, getting drafted is awesome, but like, you don't even get to see it on like TV or anything like that. Like, cause I know they don't have cameras set up everywhere when you get into the later rounds. But they still have like some type of like video highlight reel pictures or like something like that. And that's so cool to yeah, see. Man. And then for it just to be a Taco Bell commercial. And this dude's from Serbia, not even from America. He's probably just immediately pissed off coming over here. Like these guys can't even show me the time of day to show my face on here. I'm literally getting drafted during a Taco Bell Quesarito commercial, let alone probably not even hearing of Taco Bell in his life before. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. that's kind of going to lead us into the NBA. But before we go into the games, just looking back, our picks were pretty darn like close. And you might have been 100%. So we both picked Jordan Clarkson for sixth man of the year, which mm-hmm. happened. Um, I think we both picked Julius Randle for most improved, which happened. Yeah. We both picked Jokic for MVP, which no. happened. Or no, you didn't. Well, I, I may have changed, but I know in the beginning I was rolling with Embiid, but I think I did change since he was hurt. Okay, and then I think you had Tom Thibodeau for Coach of the Year, the Knicks coach, yeah. who won. Yeah. But then I had Juwan Howard all year, the Phoenix Suns head coach, who I still think probably should have won. But it's definitely understandable. So, yeah. I mean, we were pretty darn close there. Yeah, if 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 one of us wasn't 100% then we were we were really close. Yeah, I think we both went essentially what 3 out of 4, but it was also one of those years where it was a little bit more clear cut because of the amount of injuries and just things like that. Like Kevin Durant's out for a long time, Jay's Harden's out for a long time, LeBron missed a lot of time. Like everybody was yeah, missing yeah. time this year because of the condensed schedule. So, I mean, Jokic literally played every single game of that 72 game season, which is extremely impressive considering for a guy that while he's in shape, he's not like the best like structural figure like he weighed 300 pounds just like what seven eight years ago and i mean he'll continue to drop weight too so it'll be interesting to see like what he looks like in a few more years so speaking of that series um we have the phoenix suns playing the denver nuggets um the phoenix suns have won me a good bit of money these first couple games they're two and oh up in the (laughs) series it's been a good ride betting on them very stress-free um so we're gonna look at game two because that was the most recent one Oh, which is what just last night. And you have Mikel Bridges going five of 12, which wasn't great, but his playmaking and passing ability and just overall is really good. Then you have DeAndre Aiden, who went six to 10, 15 points. Chris Paul, six to 10, 17 points. You have Devin Booker putting up 18 with 10 rebounds for Devin Booker, which is insane. And you also had Chris Paul putting up 
15 assists with a plus 26 plus minus, which is if you look at this Phoenix Sun starting lineup, you have Chris Paul, who's got a plus 26 plus minus for that game. You've got Mikel Bridges, who got a plus 28 plus minus, Devin Booker plus 16, Jay Crowder plus 20, and DeAndre Aiden plus 16. Anytime all five of your starters are in the positive, let alone 16 and over in the positive, you're definitely going to win the game, which is great. And then your bench, too, you have four guys that were in the positive. You have Dario Saric, who's a plus 15, plus minus. Um, Trilson Craig, plus 13. And Cam Johnson at plus 12. And then Cameron Payne at plus 9. He's really come onto the scene lately. But a guy who I know you like, and we've talked about him before, and you said you thought he was one of the keys to the series, is Jay Crowder is hitting his threes right now. And when Jay Crowder is hitting his threes, that makes us a totally different team. He went four or five from the field and three of four from three last night. And somewhere similar to that, the game before, definitely like over 500 in the three-point category. So starting yeah, off the with the Suns, it's just, it's big. All of their players are like doing what they need to do. They're clicking at the right time. Yeah, and they brought they brought Chris Paul in to be the secondary for Devin Booker and to help him and then facilitate and dish the ball and just kind of be active on the offensive side. And they had 27 assists total last mm-hmm. night. Chris Paul had 15 of those. He had more than the rest of the team combined. That's, yeah. that's exactly what Chris Paul needs to do for them to be able to compete for the championship. I'm yeah. honest. If they, I, I, and I'm not saying that they will sweep this series. Uh, that's a bold thing to say, but if they <laughs> sweep this series, they will win the championship. And I, yeah. I get it. I know that uh, that there's a lot, and that Brooklyn has a lot. But also, I feel with Chris Paul, his experience and condition and ability on the defensive side, he can guard Kyrie. So could Devin Booker. Devin Booker can definitely hang with uh, James Harden. And then you can switch DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder can throw his weight into KD just like he did LeBron. And yeah. then you can use DeAndre Ayton's stretch to guard uh, KD. So I think there's a, a definite ability to take a, a good series between those two teams. Yeah, and if you look at their team stats, I mean, just overall, they're putting up great numbers. If we just do a side-by-side between this last game before we head into talking about Denver, Phoenix shot 48% from the field. Great. 47.5% from the three-point line. Great. 88% from the free-throw line. They out-rebounded Denver 52-46. to They out-assisted them. Um, They had less turnovers, less fouls, more fast break points, more points in the paint. I mean, just absolutely dominated in every single category. And it's just because this team's so great, like one through 12. Because another thing you look at when you're looking at a box score or a team, you see Denver, who got all their production from two guys, which wasn't even good. You had Jokic put up 11, and Michael Porter put up 11. And then their other guys in their starting lineup put up six, three, and six compared to what I just said about Phoenix. That was 11, 16, 15, 17, 18. Seeing that like evenness out of those five guys is huge. And that's a, I mean, that's a pretty telling sign for a championship team when you can have every single guy on your team contribute and you're not just relying on one guy or two guys. Oh yeah. And, and it's, it makes a difference because we could talk about the Hawks first game. Trey Young had 35 and the next closest was 21 and John Collins. And that's that's good that you have two guys, and we had six that went into double digits, and that's great. 
it was just like this kind of like what we're talking about now. But mm-hmm. with this team, with this team, they went 18, 17, 16, 15, 11. So, I mean, and 10. So, it's you're getting points wherever you look, consistent points, mm-hmm. you know. So, I think that's kind of like what you said. It's a more balanced, even spread team than it is going like, okay, we need a three, throw this guy. If it's yeah. go to three, you can pass it to Mikhail, Crowder, Booker, or Paul, and you assume it's going in right now because they're mm-hmm. just that hot at this moment. You know, I mean, 47, 47.5% from three is a heat night. Yeah. And, I mean, besides Brooklyn, just because of the talent that they have and those individual players, I would put Phoenix just under them at number two for teams that I would most not want to face right now. We'll get to them in a oh, second. Yeah. And as much as I love Utah, I would still put Phoenix at number two as teams I don't want to face. So then looking at Denver, exact opposite story. Um, they only had two guy, three guys in the positive of plus minus, and those guys played a combined um, 18 minutes, which is absolutely nothing. But their starting lineup was Gordon minus 17, Porter Jr. minus 26, Jokic minus 14, Composer minus 13, and Austin Rivers minus 21. And I just read off the points before. And while Nikola Jokic is good, he put up 24 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, and he's great at what he does. I don't think a center can carry a team like a point guard. Like we see Steph Curry took the team almost into out of the play and into the playoffs. We saw Dame Lillard take put literally the whole entire team on his back, scoring over half of their points, it seemed like at some times, and taking them to a game seven. We see guards. I mean, we saw James Harden in Houston be able to do that. I don't think a center can carry a team as much as um, – a point guard, shooting guard, or maybe even a small forward can. And I think that's their biggest downfall. And I don't really know how high I'm on this team in general. I like Michael Porter Jr., but he's putting up nights, like I just said, three of 13, two of nine from three. And he's had quite a few stinkers. And Jamal Murray, like, yes, he was great in the bubble, but he just hasn't done much besides that. He was disappointing the years before. He was disappointing in this regular season. And I think Denver's kind of just a regular season team that's going to be four or five for the next few years, but I don't see them really ever winning a championship. I think when James Harden was on the trading block, I think they needed to get James Harden because the centerpiece of that trade would have, they would have had Michael Porter Jr. in there, probably Will Barden um, and maybe a Austin Rivers and then some draft picks. And then that would have given you a lineup of Jamal Murray and James Harden and Nikola Jokic, which I think that, is a championship seeming roster, at least in the next few years, like they're contenders at least, but they didn't pull that move. They don't have that second superstar. And we saw Shaq. Shaq never won a championship on his own. He had Dwayne Wade in Miami on the back end of his career. He had Kobe in LA centers. Just, they can't do it all by themselves. They need that guard. Yeah. They need that two guard or the one that can run like a two. And I think the other big thing, is Aaron Gordon has almost been non-existent this series. Yeah. You know, he had he dropped six and then well actually that was that's not true. He had eighteen in the first game. But the second game he was he was non existent. Really. He got bullied he, by Jay Crowder when he tried to push yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean it, it, that's what's tough is I think that Aaron Gordon needs to step up and be able to in 20 minutes, put double digits on the board. 
Mm-hmm. He had you know, one he, rebound last game for a power yeah. forward. One yeah. rebound. Yeah, so uh, that's that's tough because it's not like the Suns. It's not like Jokic is dropping 20 rebounds and the rest of the team is getting 18. You know, he's he's getting out rebound by the rest of the team. But – and I get it's a little different, but Chris Paul can – dish out 15 assists the rest of the team wouldn't have to do anything you know mm-hmm. i think we need we need to see aaron gordon where porter jr is at six rebounds or where uh green and morris are with five he's got to have at least five in my opinion for them to be competitive at the offensive side whether it's just defensive rebounds or whether it's just offensive rebounds it makes a difference when you can count on two guys to come down with the ball instead of one yeah and you cannot shoot 32 percent from three and expect to win a ball game so, yeah, no, you definitely can't. Yeah, so you can tell me what you think after this, but I'm going to call the Suns. I think Denver will squeak out one just because I think in the semifinals it's too hard to call a sweep. So I'm going to say Suns in five. I'm going to I'm going to call the sweep Suns in four. Okay. I'll make I'll make the bold play. Yeah, my thing is I'm just thinking <laughs> maybe game I would three. Never, I, would, I would never bet on that, but no, I was just thinking maybe point. maybe game three. Because Phoenix was playing in Phoenix. They were playing in L.A., low altitudes, right around sea level. Now they're going to go to Denver where the air is a little bit thinner, mile-high city. And maybe – and Denver's obviously more used to that. And maybe Denver can just catch them on like a game three or game four when they're just a little yeah. bit more out of uh, energy or a little bit tired. Going a little bit more I'm, in depth there than just basketball, talking about altitude yeah. and oxygen and all. But it's a real but thing. Gotta, like it's with the I Denver Broncos, it's a thing too. Well, well I got a question because I was going to say – like the Broncos, it's football, yeah. and then we'll even use the the Rockies because they get kind of that same. Yeah, that that makes the ball. It's different playing there, but the Denver, it's indoors. Do you like? And I don't. And I don't know. I don't. I don't know this kind of science stuff. But like, does it make that much of a difference if you're playing inside? It does because of just because of the altitude in general, you're just automatically higher no matter what. So the oxygen is just going to be thinner. Like going out to my parents' house in Idaho where they're at 6,000 feet, like I can tell such a big difference, like trying to breathe out there and running compared to like being in Boone, where even though we're higher than like you are at 3,300 feet, like I can definitely tell a difference going over to that 6,000 feet. It's definitely a real thing. So I mean, that's about the, I mean, considering that's what we're kind of banking or at least me banking a possible win on, I think that's pretty uh, sure telling that Phoenix easily should win this series. So now go go into the other series in the West. We have the Utah Jazz versus the LA Clippers. Once again, love the Jazz. Been winning me money over the past couple of days. Oh, yeah. So the Jazz won 112 to 109 uh two nights ago and it was a great game so ellie jumped off to the hot start leading by almost 10 around halftime they won the first half they won the first quarter 25 to 18 second quarter 35 to 29 and then utah bounced back and won the third quarter 32 to 19 and 33 to 20 and we talked about this off air we were hanging out that was the only thing i was a little bit worried about with utah was because they literally the, game, the day they played was the one weak point of being off since the Memphis game. So you could have looked at it as two ways. You have Utah could be off and could be rested, but you also have Utah's been off for a week. They could be out of the flow a little bit compared to where the Clippers just played game seven, 
and they're kind of in their rhythm a little bit and they're going in, but then you could also argue that they could be tired because of game seven. But I think we saw the first one where Utah came out a little bit rusty in the first half and then they figured it out in the second half, got back in their flow and they took off and Donovan Mitchell looks like just a bona fide superstar went 16 to 30 put up 45 <laughs> points and five assists which is insane then you have bogdan bogdanovich went three of six from three put up 18 his overall great numbers you had rudy gobert getting his 12 rebounds like he typically does and then you cannot dismiss how important jordan clarkson is to this team going putting up 18 points off the bench which is such a great thing to have when you can just have a guy come out there and just get you bucket after bucket after bucket off the bench Oh, yeah, it's huge. And that's why I think it's going to be hard not to see a, a Jazz Sun series mm-hmm. next. I, I mean, I, I, I'd i put a lot of money that's going to be Jazz Suns next. But yeah. I think a huge thing for tonight's game and the spread being at two and a half, I think an easy, an easy cover for that is – and I'm not saying give any more attention to Luke Kennard than he really needs. I think he just kind of had a great night the other night. You know, I mean, he 18 points. I doubt he's going to drop 10 tonight. Yeah. And it's not his fault. I just don't think that he's the guy that they're going to look to off the bench. I think it's going to – we see more from Terrence Mann and Rajoy try and score the ball. Um, Reggie Jackson played decent. Nine points, not terrible. But we can see this Clippers team is really reliant on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to score the basketball. Yeah. You know, and it's just hard to do that with two guys in the 20s when Donovan Mitchell has more points total than they did combined. Yeah. And Paul George, ever since he diagnosed, not even diagnosed, but I guess since he called himself Playoff P and like gave him that self nickname. Like, what are we talking about here, dude? Yeah. You literally bricked a shot off the side of the backboard <laughs> last year in the bubble. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, and then you're shooting, like, under 40%, like, in all statistical categories, awful. shooting-wise in the playoffs. You went 4 of 17. You're a max contract player. I mean, that's pitiful. And then another thing I don't understand is, why is Marcus Morris getting 14 shots and shooting nine of them from three? He went one of nine from three and shot the game winner. Like, I know Kawhi Leonard got double-teamed at the key, and he had to pass it off. But um, that may be a Ty Lue thing. You've got to be able to orchestrate a play better at the end of the game to where Kawhi's open because, obviously, Paul George isn't making the shot. And Lord knows we don't want Marcus Morris taking the final shot where he literally got it, had an open shot, tried to get (laughs) with it, tried to pump fake, 6'11", Rudy Gobert, like 50 million-time defensive player of the year, pump fake again, and then shoot it and just get swatted right back in his face. Like Marcus Morris is the last person, or not the last person, but not the guy. He's he's low on the list. (laughs) Yeah, he's down there on the totem pole. you got to have Kawhi Leonard taking that shot, and then Paul George after that, your two big dogs. You cannot have Marcus Morris. I just – I have an issue with Marcus Morris taking 14 shots and nine three-pointers. That just – that can't happen. I think think another big piece to watch for tonight – is Royce O'Neal. 11 boards, three assists, eight points. I think we see a possible double double from Royce tonight. I okay, think he goes on your shot. I think he goes 10 and 12, just like okay. Rudy did in game one. 
I think we see a better offensive night, to, like overall, from mm-hmm. Bogdanovich and Gobert. I think yeah. we see Mitchell's Mitchell's points drop just because they're not going to need him to do that much tonight due mm-hmm. to Gobert and Bogdanovich scoring more. But I think O'Neal's going to put 10 and 12 in. We're going to see yeah. kind of a repeat of Gobert's night from, what would that be, Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's my prediction on Royce tonight. So put it, write it down, put it in the books. It's on, <laughs> it's on tape. Count it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely – Definitely should be a good series, though. I think it's gonna. It's definitely gonna be a closer series than the Phoenix series. I think, obviously, and oh yeah. And like I said last week in our picture of the week, I'm taking Jazz, no matter whether they were playing Dallas or Clippers. But I could definitely see this going to like probably six games. I don't think it'll go seven, but I think I think they'll get a couple from the Jazz. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm looking at five. Five. I mean, well, the thing is, too, the Clippers. The Clippers haven't won a home playoff game in like a couple weeks now because them in no. Dallas did not win a single playoff game at home, which was just bizarre. That's one of the yeah, only times I think that's ever happened. Gonna be gonna be interesting. Yeah. So now so. going back to another game played that day, we're gonna go look at Atlanta and Philadelphia. So yeah. Two very polar opposite games here. So we yeah. had Atlanta with the absolute blowout, which kind of got tight late, but not really. Yeah. It did, but the Hawks still kind of oh, had got, control. It got it got scary if you were a Hawks fan watching yeah. that because they started pressing, and we started fumbling around the football or the uh, the basketball, and then they got easy points. Ben Simmons had seventeen. He probably had six in the last two minutes of the game, just from little. <laughs> quick like easy layup buckets but it was just a big deal that Joel Embiid scored basically 40 and 39 he 39 points no he scored 40 uh the first game oh the first game I bet I think 39 so yeah I mean it's basically the same but it's tough when Ben Simmons can drop a double double and basically pick up the slack that Embiid didn't have on the defensive side. You know, mm-hmm. had a couple of steals, wasn't a bad game at the end, but the Hawks, the big story was Trey Young. Yeah. You know, I mean, Trey Young is just playing lights out right now. You know, Clint Capella, double double, Trey Young, double double. So it looked good for our side of the ball that game. Plus, they shot 42 and a half from the from the three-point line at 95 at the free throw. So mm-hmm. that's a very, very good split. And 50% field goal is not awful. But it was a good game one. Game two definitely was a fall-off game. You know, that was kind of the game off for some people, I think. Yeah, game two was interesting. It was like the Hawks starters, or I guess they're two stars and – Trey Young and John Collins kind of came back down to earth, but the role players almost took a step up, but it was a shame yeah. that this couldn't happen at like the same time because yeah. Trey Young, well, yeah, he put up 21 points. He was one of seven from three, which is definitely a steep drop off. And John yeah. Collins went only four of 11 for eight points. But then you have Bogdan Bogdanovich who put up 14. Yes. You have Danilo Gallinari who went seven of 15 and 21 points. And Kevin Huerter yeah. who went eight of 10 for 20 points. The bench yeah, players and role guys stepped it up, but for Hawks fans, sadly, on the night that the starters decided to take a step down. Yeah, we're going to need to see Bogdan play well tomorrow. That's a Definitely. huge 
that's a huge piece because that's a secret kind of like like in the end, Trey's covered, go to Bogdan. Bogdan Bogdanovich is one of those players, I believe, that is and – and I want to describe it. I'm not comparing him to Dwayne Wade, but in the style of how the game is on their two teams, he's a Dwayne Wade with LeBron because mm-hmm. he can score the basketball, but he's that second guy to LeBron constant score. If it gets doubled, dish out to – Bogdan, and you just have confidence in that, you know? So I yeah. kind of compare that to that situation. I don't think Bogdan's the same type of player, but I think in those two roles, they fit very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And looking at the 76er side of it, I mean, the other point guard, kind of the same thing. If you would have told me Ben Simmons scored four points and the Sixers won the game, I would have been pretty surprised. I mean, he had a terrible night. He had four points, seven assists, three rebounds. Not Ben Simmons' numbers at all, but Tobias Harris picked up the slack. 11 of 19 for 22 points, six boards, four assists. Joel Embiid, 13 of 25, 40 points and 13 rebounds, which is huge. Shane Milton went 5 of 8 for 14 off the bench. Seth Curry, big night, 8 of 13, 21 points. So this was kind of my thing to be. I think the Sixers are the better all-around team. Um, I picked them to win this series personally just because I think they're better. Like I trust their role players and their stars more than I trust Atlanta stars because we think we know where Trey Young is going, but I feel like Joel Embiid has kind of already established what he is. I love Tobias as a third player, but Ben Simmons inconsistencies just can't be there. And then I like their bench players better with like a Seth Curry, um, Tyrese Max. He's a lockdown defender. Matisse Tybul can have his moments compared to having to rely on Danilo Gallinari and Clevin Herter, who, if he's off shooting wise, literally won't be able to do anything else because he's not a rebounder or a playmaker, um, yeah. which is why I picked Philadelphia. But it's really just going to be whose stars are on and whose stars aren't for this series, I think. I, yeah, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see. I want to take a look, a quick look at uh, the current Bucks and Nets game that's on. The Bucks got it by one right now with 704 in the third. It, it's been a, a good night for. Irving and Durant, and then Bruce Brown Jr., surprising, kind of out of the woodwork right now, is on track, pacing for that double-double. And Brooke Lopez, zero points. Yeah, that's (laughs) – and Drew Holiday's only got five. Five, one, and one is a really, really rough thing to watch through three quarters of basketball. Well, Giannis – and Chris Middleton are literally making up 46 out of 54 or 55 yeah. of the Bucks points. Yeah, so like, don't forget this, dude. The Nets were losing 33 to nine at one point in this game, and they have brought it yeah. all the way back to 55 to 54. I mean, well, this that's, Bucks offense zero, yeah, zero points for Tucker, five for Holiday, <laughs> zero for Lopez, zero for Connaughton, zero for Bryn Forbes, four for Bobby Portis, and 24 from Giannis with 11 rebounds, double double already. And then Chris Middleton at 22 points with nine boards, which is by far the best game we've seen Chris Middleton play so far in the playoffs. But, like, how do you, first off, do you love a 33-9 to lead? And you can't – I don't know if – I don't think they're going to win this game because you cannot have 46 or 55 points from two guys. We just talked about how spreading the the points out is so important. And it's just the exact opposite. And for for those of us that aren't looking at the score sheet at the current moment – 55 points, like Steve said. Four, uh, 46 are coming from Middleton and Antetokounmpo. 
There are two other players that have scored. That makes four total in the game for the Bucks that <laughs> yeah. have put baskets down. That's that's terrible. Yeah. Through three quarters, that's terrible. This Awful. and and you can tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm right. I don't but I feel like this is a really, really low scoring game for what we're used to. Yeah, definitely. Especially especially with the Nets. Yeah. I would agree with that. You know, I mean, but that's a defense kind of winning right now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely – well, it's also KD. He's, he's playing good. I mean, he's got 14 points, seven boards, but he has gone five of 17 um, from the field, which isn't great compared to what he normally does. But it's working. But like you said, Bruce Brown's been huge so far with 12 points. I mean, yeah. they're going to have three guys probably over 20 points by the time this game's over. And, um, yeah, yeah I mean, just what a comeback in – I mean, we've talked about the Clippers before. They don't seem to really have, like, that will or drives. They seem to roll over pretty easy. And you could see Brooklyn and Kyrie maybe just mailing it in when you're down 33-9 to nine because Kyrie seems to yeah. mail it in quite a bit on uh, basketball. <laughs> and But they didn't. They came back and they fought themselves all the way back. And, I mean, they were losing – yeah, they were losing 30-11 to 11 at the end. They lost the first quarter 30-11. to 11, And Brooklyn won the second quarter 31-15. to 15. And they're currently up in the third quarter, twelve to ten. Just a crazy comeback, and it's going to yeah, be an exciting was... ending of the game. So, we just talked about the Brooklyn Nets, who are the super team right now in the NBA. So we're going to go back. We're just going to do a little bit of a draft. Um, we picked eight teams, and probably kind of like eight super teams that we're going to go through, and we're just going to pick which ones we would take, like in order. So we've got the LeBron James Heat with LeBron. Um, Ray Allen was there, obviously Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Then the Warriors with the KD, Steph, Draymond, and Iggy. Uh, the Kobe Shaq Lakers. And then the Spurs with Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili, Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard. And then we're going to have the Bulls, the Jordan Pippen Bulls, 95-96. Uh, just insane team. And then a little throwback with the Celtics with Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. And then older Lakers team with Magic Johnson, Elgin Baylor, uh, Kareem, absolutely insane team. And then the LeBron Cavaliers with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. So I will let you go first. And what out of those eight teams would you pick? I think the, I think the first one I'm going to go with is the KD Warriors. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that is the way that basketball is looked at right now is the deep ball's got to go in for you to be competitive. Yeah. And you got to be able to get the offensive rebound if it doesn't hit. And I think that that team, we saw that team be able to do both those things outstandingly well with Draymond on the boards or KD on the boards and then Steph, Clay, and Draymond and KD could all put the three up. So it was interesting to watch that. That's why I'm going to go with the uh, KD Warriors. Yeah, that's probably my favorite team I've ever been able to watch. I mean, just in general, that team was so fun to watch. And the team I want to pick is, I wish we could have seen them play because it would have been so cool as the 95-96, that Bulls team with Jordan, Pippen, Rodman. I mean, you can't really go wrong taking the GOAT and that whole team because the dynamic of Steph Curry out there splashing threes. You have Steve Kerr, who's his coach now, who was a sharpshooter back in the day. Then you have Michael Jordan getting clamped, not probably not clamped up, but Clay Thompson, who's one of the best guard defenders in the game top three on Jordan who's insane you've got Scottie Pippen and Kevin Durant going back and forth and then what would be better than anything 
is Dennis Rodman and Draymond Green going back and forth at each other all night long, which would be absolutely hilarious and entertaining to watch. And I mean, the team's just ridiculous. So I'm going to go with that team first. So you're up for number two. Okay. For two, I'm going to go to LeBron Heat. Okay. And the reason I'm going to go with that team is because I think that was a better top to bottom, including reserves and bench than what the Warriors had from top to bottom. But the LeBron and Wade with uh, Shane Battier or Battier mm-hmm. and Chris Bosh and Ray Allen, that's, that's one of the best starting fives of all time on the court from yeah. one to five. So I think they cop- they probably could have competed with anybody in today's game or the couple of maybe a decade before too mm-hmm. so i i think that's a great basketball team so that's i'm gonna go with the lebron heat okay so the next team i'm going with is a team that might have been perhaps the deepest team we've seen in the nba like one through 12 and i'm gonna go with the i love using them on 2k2 the san antonio spurs from just 10 years ago because you have tony parker um you have marco bellinelli danny green who could play the shooting guard that were Danny Green was a lot better at that time. Um, Sharpshooters. You had the assassin Kawhi Leonard going. You have one of the all-time great forwards in Tim Duncan out there. You have Boris Diaw coming off the bench. He was really good. You have Patty Mills, who was a spark plug three-pointer out there. Uh, you had Tiago Splitter, who was putting up good numbers back in the day then. And you had Matt Bonner, the redhead guy that would just come out. That was 6'11", and just <laughs> quick stroke, just – Bucket after bucket after bucket. I mean, that team was so fun to watch all the time. I mean, Tony, I mean, they were all, they were all just so good. Like they did not put out a player where you were like, oh, that dude kind of sucks. Like everybody you looked at and you were like, yeah, like this dude can play basketball and he can fill his role, which is what the Spurs biggest thing was. You played your role and their guys always played their role and they were always able to find guys that could fit the roles they wanted. So I'm going with the Spurs for number two. Yeah, notable notable mention for the uh, Heat team is Birdman. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the third team I'm going to go with is the Kobe Shaq Lakers. Okay, that's one of the most dominant, just pure duos of all time. Yeah, like two players together is that's probably the most dominant that we've we've seen in a very long time, mm-hmm. and we will probably never see one that good in a long time. Yeah. I don't I don't there's definitely not one right now that I could say with confidence that would be as good on their own. Yeah. Um but I mean those two were just really outstanding when they played together and it was just you could tell that Shaq needed it for his career and it helped Kobe continue to get better at his. So mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely. So for my next pick, I'm also going to take a Lakers team. Um, but I'm going to take the one with Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They had James Worthy out there who was filthy, Bob McAdoo, Byron Scott, um, just an insane roster. Kurt Rambis was out there. And just a really great, I mean, in general team, I mean, the Showtime Lakers. I mean, that's where the name Showtime came from, was from this team because you have the flashy Magic Johnson. Ali upset to Kareem, you had Kareem with the goggles on, kind of making his own little thing going on with that. And just a really fun team and a great team to watch in general. There's not too many better teams in history than the uh, Showtime Lakers. And 
I think they won what four or five championships. I think yeah, one, two, yeah, five championships while they were in that Showtime era, and just just a great all around team. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, so now it's down to the Celtics or the Cavs. I know which one I'm taking, and I'm very <laughs> very happy about it that I got this one that got to come up. Is I'm going to take the Bird McHale Celtics. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that team. Dennis Johnson, uh, Jim's Paxson at the point guard. Then Robert Parrish was seven one. Yeah, just grabbing boards out of nowhere. Uh, and then obviously McHale and Bird. So I mean, it was just a great and Otis Bird song could just mm-hmm. launch shots. So it was cool to watch. You know, I mean, it was great. A great team, really all around, but. The defensive side of that team was kind of an underrated defensive team, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, a great, great all-around team. Bunch of legends on that team, for oh, sure. Yeah. Bunch of, and that's like a team, too, that, yeah, they slipped down to four, but in a lot of people's head, I mean, they could have been a lot higher than that. And, I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me if they were taking, like, two or three overall instead of four where yeah. they were. So, I mean, that leaves me with a team where, I mean, yeah, I'm left with it, but, I mean, another really good team you have prime LeBron James on the Cavs with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and this was Kyrie Irving when he was still just like a dog out there and wasn't just leaving his team and all his off the court crap and you had J.R. Smith who was good and this was before about three years later when he couldn't remember what the score was and then you had a productive Tristan Thompson at the time um you had Joe Harris he was a sharpshooter then, who's now the sharpshooter of uh, Brooklyn. And then he had Matthew Delvadova, who you mentioned a couple podcasts ago with Alvin Dog. You could put on anybody. You had um, Channing Fry, Richard Jefferson, a lot of good guys off the bench. Just an overall, like, really good team. And I mean, that was just when LeBron was coming off of his heat years and absolutely still just dominating the NBA. And that was kind of when he really started developing a three point shot, too, was on that Cleveland team. So just very dangerous team there. So, yeah, they a were. lot of. Yeah, a lot of great teams there. So we talked about this earlier in the podcast, the foreign substance debacle going on in the MLB. Um, We've seen both sides of it. We've seen guys like Pete Alonzo say he's fine with it because he's like, hey, if it helps them grip the ball when they're throwing 100 miles per hour to help not hit me, I'm okay with it. Then he went a little bit more conspiracy-wise talking about how he thinks the MLB changes the balls every year, depending on the free agency, which was, I think, a little bit too far, a little bit of a reach he's, there, in my opinion. What, what did not, you think about this Pete Alonzo interview? I'll be honest with you, and, and I don't like when guys go out of their way to say things that would make the sport or themselves try to be in a better light than what they are. Has been a crap of an athlete baseball player since he hit 50 home runs, he has not done anything worth mentioning. No, he since. Hasn't. So you got to do something to keep yourself in the light of, Oh, Hey, I'm still here. Just in case you forgot, you, you can't call people out for the free agent. What free agent class of pitchers has gone by really like huge names that have gone by that hit the, hit the market for free agency that would have affected him. Yeah. There hasn't been any. <laughs> So he's just trying to do something and say something that keeps him in that idea mindset of, oh, I'm still here. So, no, I think he's an idiot. I think he's being <laughs> completely dumb to say something like that. He hit 53 home runs as a rookie and hadn't done anything since. He had 16 and 57 games last year. Not a bad, but you hit like 210. That's <clears throat> if, if you want to be like, like, and I hate, to, I hate to do this, and I'm sorry to Quentin 
about this, but Joey Gallo doesn't come out and say stupid comments like this because Joey Gallo doesn't hit 346 and doesn't hit 67 home runs. If I remember right, though, I think somebody thought he might this hey, year. Hey, I didn't say he was going to go way out, but he was a sleeper pick. I did say that. It's not turning the right way. But um, I just think that this is a dumb comment, and the whole article is kind of filled with him just trying to be irrelevant, relevant still, really. Because, yeah, we, we joke, and Garrett Cole earlier, and he couldn't answer the question, <laughs> Did you use spider track? Well, uh, that was I was like, the, tell me you're I, guilty without telling me you're yeah, guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, like you answered the question and all you did was stutter for two seconds. So mm-hmm. we know, but if Pete Alonso, if somebody was like, do you still think you're a top baseball player? He has to say yes, but this is his way of being relevant without letting his play speak for what it is. If he was good and he was still hitting 53 home runs and doing anything worth mentioning the Mets would be better that's yeah because they just brought over another superstar that should help you and bring you back to a great baseball level again and he hasn't done anything so uh, come on Pete don't be an idiot do not be an idiot I mean they're not affecting any baseballs because and he tried to throw it to like the offensive hitting like the offensive class of Trevor Story Corey Seager and Bias at the shortstop position like really those guys need help? I don't think so. I don't think Javier Baez needs help with anything. Yeah. I mean, and if he needs help with something, somebody's going to get it for him, whether it be tying a shoe or putting on pants or hitting a baseball. Somebody's going to find a way to help him. Same with Trevor Story and Carlos Correa. I don't think Carlos Correa should still be in the major leagues because he freaking cheated. <laughs> so but, who are, who are the I worst mean, interview out of the two, Pete Alonzo or Garrett Cole? <laughs> well, Pete Alonzo to me, because he just kept going on to try and be a re- like relevant, just kept trying to bring down basically the entire like organization of MLB as a whole, which is dumb. Like don't try and like, don't try and crap on something that happens within the MLB because you suck. That's the first off. Two, Garrett Cole was just being what Garrett Cole is. You know, I mean, you, you're not going to get a true, solid, straight answer on that. But as PFT would say, just lie. Literally, just <laughs> all you have to do is say, no, I've never used that. And then when they print it in this article, then it, that's the truth then, is that you've never used it. So even if you lied, nobody cares anymore. It's done. You're in the back, back stands instead of the front row. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just an all-around too stupid articles two stupid interviews Pete Alonso's was worse just because he was being an idiot so where do we think this goes from here though do we think pitchers are going to get caught more or do you think because like the MLB is going to put the hammer down and start doing inspections or something or do we think pitchers are kind of going to be a little bit more scared now and they're not going to cheat as much because like I mentioned earlier we saw Garrett Cole in this last start lowest spin rate he's had in a start in the last two seasons while he still dominated I mean, it wasn't like his typical spin rate, like I just said, by a pretty dramatic amount. And he did let up two home runs, which he t- or two earned runs, or no, it was two home runs, which he typically doesn't do in a start either. So, where do you think we see pitchers going from here? Are they going to kind of back down a little bit and stop using substances? Do you think? Or are they going to try and hide it more? Or do you think that we're going to see guys start getting caught more and more and more now? I think I can only answer it one way, and. It is that it depends on who the pitcher is because I'm going to use it in the comparison. Javier Baez 
will never get suspended unless he punches somebody in the face. <laughs> That's the truth, right? We both know that because we watch him when he plays our teams and just how pure of a dick he truly is. But if Jacob deGrom's spin rate goes down and he gives up six runs in his start, say it's tomorrow, in his start tomorrow, they're going to email him or somebody's going to be like, yo, you're a face of baseball, you're good, we'll never check you. Yeah. Garrett Cole may never get checked. Verlander may never get checked. Clayton Kershaw may never get checked. But Sonny Gray or Mitch Keller or uh, Hugh Darvish or Blake Snell, those guys will get checked because they can go with those guys being on the bench for 10 games. You can't put Garrett Cole on a 10-game suspension and people watch baseball. Yeah, There's at least two games where somebody's going to be like, I'm not watching this game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it depends on the pitcher, and that's kind of the way I think I have to go about it is Garrett Cole, Verlander, Kershaw, Bauer will never get touched. Everybody else I think is fair game. Just like Tatis, Acuna, uh, and Baez are never to be touched. Everybody else is fair game. Yeah. And the sad part is, is there's just no trust in the MLB from players no. to owners to the league. Like, no. it's just like everybody fending for themselves, which is really sad. Because you see in it's the terrible. NBA, Adam Silver and the owners work hand-in-hand hand with yeah. players. In the NFL, even though some of the guys don't get along with Roger Goodell, the majority of the people get along with their owners for sure and then still can get along with Goodell and stuff. But in the MLB – there's just no trust or anything in the chain of command yeah, at yeah. all, which is just not a good game plan at all. Because Rob Manfred freaking sucks. <laughs> He's terrible. Yeah, he is. And most of the GMs don't do anything for their teams. Nothing. No. So you get a high you get a high market team, and they just go buy players. You get a low market team, and you're stuck with what you got until you have to pay them more, and then you have to trade them. Me yeah. and you would know that. Oh yeah. You got to pawn players off to get something back that isn't even close to the level of what you had. Exactly. So, and it's just, yeah. So, right now we're seeing baseball where the offense is on a bit of a downswing, which is kind of why I think the whole pitching thing got brought up because offensive numbers are down and they were trying to find something to put it on, which ended up becoming these foreign substances. So, do you think baseball is better off having last year? where people thought they were doctoring baseballs to add more home runs to bring more excitement and offensive everywhere or more of this year where there's a lot more like pitching duels and defensive. Me personally, growing up playing baseball, I love like the two to one, three to two, four to three games at the tops. I didn't necessarily always enjoy the seven to eight games, 10 to nine and things like that, because I don't think that's like real baseball per se, but that does sell better in like the eye of the public. Oh yeah. But what, what's just kind of your take on that? My take is watching runs come across the plate and watching home runs is outstanding. It's a very, very – it's a feeling that's not the same as watching a touchdown or a dunk. It's just so different from anything else is watching a guy swing, make solid contact, and the ball just fly over the fence while they pimp it. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> in, that's funny. It's a great thing. It's cool to watch. But it would be more memorable – if it didn't happen as much mm-hmm. and to me like oversaturation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and to me, two, one games going into the ninth, I won't turn the TV off. I don't care if it's Cleveland and uh, Boston, it doesn't matter who it is. If I turn by it 
or I get an alert on my phone that there's a no-no. You turn to that game. You don't turn to the game that guys have four home runs going for their fifth because it's like, no, he's not going to get that. They're not going to pitch to him. Like, we know that, you know, because teams don't want to get burnt. But those no-nos you turn to, the one-hitters, the shutouts, those games you turn to because it's exciting to see if the other team can score a run. And if you Mm -hmm. turn baseball back to that kind of baseball, you're going to get a lot more people in – uh, and I don't know how to say it. it's not inner cities, but the cities of those teams, you're going to get a lot more traction there because there's it's yeah the local markets. Yeah, it's it's way more competitive because look at uh, the Yankees last year; they would score six to seven runs a game. You know, it's exciting to watch, but if nobody else can put up six runs, it's like, hey, we got this one. Yeah, and then you just then you just know which pitcher is going to lose. So it's like. Like that's not like a fun. Well, and it also that's takes not a fun out thing to watch. Yeah, it also takes out the intensity, like watching, like oh, this is a close game, like a home run here is yeah. going to be huge, or if a run scores here, like that's massive yeah. for a game. Not oh, it's another home run. That's like the seventh run of the game. Like whoop de do. Yeah, it's the third <laughs> inning. It's ten to ten. Nice. You know, I mean, there's just it's dumb. We watch we watch eleven run first innings that would have never happened in the eighties and nineties. Would yeah. have never happened. You know, watching Frank Thomas hit a home run was awesome because when he did it, it meant something to the game. When Griffey yeah. Jr. hit a double off the wall or robbed a home run or made a diving catch, those were cool to watch because it didn't happen all the time. If that ball got down, it meant a run may, may have scored or there was yeah. something on the other end that would have been a negative. And now it's not. If you dive past the ball, oh, it's six to seven now or it's nine to nine. We'll, be, we'll get them back in the bottom half. You know, it's not yeah. like – it doesn't have that same effect of, dang, this this run means something, because mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything anymore because you know that you can go get one yourself. But yeah. that's not baseball. That's basically tennis, where somebody's guaranteed <laughs> a point every turn. I mean, I'm not trying to, like not trying to be funny, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah, like somebody's guaranteed a point on every on every time the ball's put in play is tennis. Baseball is not a guaranteed sport. You're supposed to fail more times when you succeed and we are not watching that yeah it's just like what are we doing with the sport rob figure it out rob (laughs) oh that can transition to piss me off that can transition into a baseball that's probably getting run a lot better in a lot of i got got one question i got one one question before we jump to college baseball so i want to ask you this and this is strictly not because he's on my team not because anything else because it's because numbers American League MVP right now in your head, who is it? AL MVP right now. Yeah. Ooh, that is tough. Put me on the spot here. Yeah. So if you're looking at the AL, um, I think right now, I could be wrong. I think odds-wise, which is interesting, but I think it's because the story too, I think Shohei's number one odds-wise, betting-wise, because – yeah, he's valuable, but it's also an easy way to trick the public into putting money on Shohei when I don't really think that he's going to win the MVP. But then yeah. you have guys like Vladdy uh, Guerrero Jr., who's putting up insane numbers. You have J.D. Martinez. Um, sadly, Mike Trout's going to be hurt too long to be able – he used to always be the easy answer, but he's going to be hurt. Yeah, he can't. Well, it's exciting, bit. though, now, like a little bit. Like, I hate – it's not exciting that he's hurt, but it's exciting to kind of take time to look at somebody else. But no numbers – Based off what you know, who do you think the MVP in the AL is? 
so far. I give it to Vladimir. I give it to Vladdy Jr. Easy. Yeah. See, the thing that's tough with me, which I don't think this matters in baseball as many as other sports, is you've got to look at like where their record stands and their winning percentage. And if you look at the top guys in the AL that are up for the MVP, their teams aren't necessarily winning, which is what makes it hard because you have Shohei Otani up there, but the Angels aren't really good. You have Vladdy there, but Toronto is a three or fourth team in their division. And I mean, you've got guys like Bogart, maybe uh, some people would argue Buxton, but like these teams just aren't like competitive, which is what makes it really hard. But I mean, I can't really disagree with you there. I mean, I don't think Xander Bogarts is going to win MVP, even though he's had a really good year. He's just not. Yeah. J.D. Martinez has had a great year. He's a DH. He's not going to get it. I mean, I don't think they'll give it to Shohei just because of how crappy their record is. So, I mean, I guess you kind of got to go with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. there. It's just hard because all of the guys that are good aren't necessarily on, like, good teams. Which yeah, is I, just, I would tend to agree. Yeah, which just makes it extremely hard. So let me ask you this now. Both the teams have the same record, 29 and 31. Both of them are like the same play. One's in third place because their division's worse. One's in fourth place because the division's better. Um, Ronald Acuna and Jesse Winker. If you had to right now today give the MVP to one of them, who would you give it to? Um, I'm going to go with Ronald Acuna Jr. <laughs> okay. Why? Like, I'm just curious. I just feel like I know Jesse Winkler is a good player at all, but I don't think it's Ronald Acuna's fault that the Braves are where, like, where they're at. Um, well, yeah. First of all, they, they do. <clears throat> I don't know. I just think Ronald Acuna, he adds that spark. He's got that flair. And I don't know. I feel like he's just – I feel like if he wasn't on that Braves team, they would – I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it's I think tough. you could say the same exact thing. I know, that's what it's I keep saying in my so. head, and I'm like, well, and it's he's not, not on like, that team. Yeah. yeah, if he wasn't on the Reds, we would we would not be 29 wins. No, I don't know. No. I just so, – uh, but, but Acuna has done it more, too, than, like, Winker has. Like, Winker's never put up numbers like this before. We've seen Acuna been able to put numbers somewhat close to this and show that he can be, like, the best player on a really good team. Yeah, but – Acuna's, Acuna has not hit 346 for two months of the year. No, ever. but I mean, there's more than batting average that goes into the yeah. MVP. Yeah, well, they, well, I know, but they're both hitting 17 and 18 home runs. He's got him by one. Jesse Winker has 17, 18 more hits. He has the same number of doubles, the same number of triples, two less runs, same number of RBIs. Less walks because he's got more hits, less strikeouts, zero stolen bases. That's the only thing Acuna's got. And then that's, I mean, he's just hitting better all around except for on-base percentages. Wait, no. Yeah, he's basically the better baseball player right now. So, I, I mean, obviously he's on my team. I would pick him. But, I mean, 346, 413, 645, and 1057 compared to 278, 389, 600, and 989. It's, yeah, it's very I mean, hard. It's very hard not to say Jesse Winker. Yeah, I mean it's hard. I mean I think the Braves too are just extremely underperforming. I don't think it'd really be a question if they were another five or six games over five hundred. Yeah, but I think I think it'd be even less though of a question because I think Jesse would take it even more if they were five games ahead of where they are and he was still hitting this way. Because yeah, Freddie Freeman I, to me 
is the MVP of that team consistently, except for right now. He is definitely less of the uh, Freddie Freeman than we're used to. But, I mean, Freddie's the goat of that team in the face still to me until he leaves. Yeah. Ronald's, the, Ronald's the young face. Freddie's the old face. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah, hey, college baseball, we got to love it. Steve, your intros, <laughs> your, your little uh, – introduction you can start over we're good now yeah so we are now going to go over into where some of these mlb players were before they didn't get drafted out of high school or out of a different country in college baseball so we are now down to the super regionals where we've got arkansas nc state texas south florida mississippi state notre dame texas tech stanford arizona ole miss Virginia, Dallas Baptist, LSU in Tennessee, and ECU in Vanderbilt. First off, before you kind of go in depth, what's your yeah. series you're most looking forward to? Oh, man. Most looking forward to? Yeah. Oh, man. Let me give me one. Give me a second. Mm-hmm. I'm looking. It, based on like even match and just like pure like baseball numbers. Virginia and Dallas Baptist is not a bad one to look out for. I think that's going to be a fun kind of a fun series, but I'm, I'm really excited for the Notre Dame Mississippi state. Okay. And it's, it's really hard not to be excited. Mississippi state scored a hundred more runs, but the averages are the ERAs are right on par. The stolen bases are right on par. The home runs are five apart. So, I mean, there's a lot of things there that could be sneaky for Notre Dame to take over. I still think Mississippi State takes that series, but I think Notre Dame's a good one. Mm-hmm. That Ole Miss-Arizona series is going to be good. Arizona was a sneaky good team at the end of the year. Made a lot of push in the end. Um, Stanford and Texas Tech's going to be a good one. I think the one that I'm least excited for and the one that I, I truly think is going to end in two games is USF and Texas. Uh, I don't think NC State and Arkansas is going to be a competitive series. And then I don't think LSU and Tennessee is going to be a competitive series. So, like, I, I guess with the LSU and Tennessee, that'll kind of ask a like, question. So I'm curious on what you think. We'll start – Arkansas and uh, NC State, I'll read them to you. And then you tell me, you kind of pick who you think will be your College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Arkansas, NC State, 49 and 11, 33 and 17. Decently even match. It's going to be a hard call, honestly. What do you think? I think Arkansas definitely okay. gets past NC State. Okay. Texas Tech at eight. Stanford's nine, 39 and 15, 36 and 15. Texas Tech has every category except for average by 0.003. Yeah, I'm going to get Texas Tech on that one. Okay. Uh, Arizona and Ole Miss, 43 and 15, 44 and 20. It's a pretty even split, four and four in the categories. That's It's going to be a good series. What do you think? I'm going to go Ole Miss on that one. Oh, okay. they've got the good juju right now, especially with Elko okay. with the torn ACL <laughs> going off still. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Vandy, ECU, 43 and 15, 44 and 15. Average is the same. Very evenly matched, except for stolen bases. But 
What do you think? So I'm, this was one of the matchups I was most excited for because, I mean, they're yeah. both really good teams. But the issue I think is, is I just think Vandy's guys are just overall way better than ECU's guys, even though, like, they're both really good uh, teams. But I'm going to go with Vandy on this one. But I'm extremely excited for this uh, series, more than most. Yeah. Uh, Texas and South Florida, 45 and 15, 31 and 28. Texas has every category except for K's per nine. I think it's fairly simple to say. Yeah, Texas, easy is, Texas is going to take that yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, 53 and 15, 33 and 11. Pretty evenly matched team. I mean, I kind of went into this a little bit more earlier. So what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go Mississippi, Mississippi State. I've been riding with yeah. them all year, and I'm going to keep going. All right. All right. We have two left. Virginia and Dallas Baptist. 33 and 24 and 40 and 16. Uh, Dallas Baptist has five of the eight categories. So, uh, and their home runs are 50 more. Their average is 20, uh, 0.028 or 0.024 better. What do you think? I'm going to go with Virginia on that one. Uh, they played an ACC schedule, which is harder, I think, than what DBU's played. And also, if you look at their regionals, um, Oregon State's not the same team that they were. McNeese is not – I mean, obviously they made it, but that's not a powerhouse program. And, yeah, they got by with TCU. But Virginia played a very competitive SEC South Carolina team and an insanely offensive team in Old Dominion and made it past both of them. So I'm going to go with Virginia. I'm going to be honest just because it makes me – I, I got to go Dallas Baptist. <laughs> um, Tennessee and LSU. Tennessee has every category except for case per nine. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go Tennessee on that one. Yeah, I think that's pretty easy. I'm going to go back over yours and then what I think. See, so Tennessee out of Tennessee and LSU, I'm also going to take that. Uh, Virginia and Dallas Baptist, you took Virginia. I'm going to take Dallas Baptist. Uh, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, you took Mississippi State. I'm going to take Mississippi State as well. I think it's just a better team. Uh, Texas and Southern Florida, you took Texas. I'm also going to go with Texas. That's a pretty easy decision. Um, Vandy ECU you took Vandy I'm going to pull off I'm going to say a huge 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 upset and go with ECU just wow. as one underdog pick um, Arizona Ole Miss I'm going to go Arizona I think I think Arizona ends the juju I just think they're too good <laughs> honestly I just do uh, I don't think home runs are going to play a big of a factor in this series as they have been because it's not in um Man, it's not it's not at Ole Miss. It's a Tucson no. region, super regional. So that's another thing. Virginia's going to have a lot more fans in Columbia than Dallas Baptist is. Yeah, probably. Uh, Texas Tech and Stanford. I'm also going to go with Texas Tech, as did you. Uh, and then Arkansas and NC State. You went Arkansas. I'm going to go Arkansas. Also, I think a favorite to win the whole thing is Arkansas. So. To cover it, we have Arkansas, Texas Tech, both of the Arizona and Ole Miss, Vandy and ECU, Texas, Mississippi State, Virginia and Dallas Baptist, Tennessee. You have to pick one of those to win your College World Series right now. Who is it? Right now. All right. So right now going in, who wins the College World Series? Um. I mean, I have it narrowed down between Arkansas and Vanderbilt in my head that it's going to be one of those two. It's kind of just picking which one. And 
I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go with Vanderbilt. I'm gonna go with Vanderbilt. I like their pitching. I don't think you. I mean, you have Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker as a one-two punch for your starters. I mean, I don't know too many teams that are gonna win two out of. They're gonna have to win at least one of those games, if not both of them, to take the series. And I don't know if I see any team being able to do that if they're both on. Yeah. No. I hey, I hear you. Uh, and Enrique Banfield is huge. He, yeah. Oh, he's really good at baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. It's just really good. Um, their lineup top to bottom is good. I'm going to be honest with you, though. I'm going to go two teams that aren't Vandy nor Arkansas. Okay. I'm going to go Tennessee and Texas. All right. That's who I believe are gonna, is going to fight for it. And I think it purely, purely comes down to their pitching. The ERA is – 2.87 for Texas, which is an outstanding team. Really, it, it's if I'm not wrong, it's the lowest of the super regionals. So I think that's going to help them a ton. I also think Tennessee is, like you said, with Ole Miss riding the juju. I think Tennessee is on cloud nine right now with Tony DeVito and just that whole team is playing really good baseball right now. After mm-hmm. they hit the, after that game one walk off. They turned it on and just started playing baseball the right way. And I think Tony DeVito's got them where they need to be to compete for that World Series this year. So I'm going Tennessee, Texas, and then I'm going to go Texas to win it. Okay. Finally, Texas might bring a championship back and something and back yeah. up all that smack they talk in every single sport. Hook I them think horns. It, I think it's, <laughs> if, if they're going to do it, it's this year. Yeah, because it's not going to be football. It ain't going to be basketball. So it's got to be baseball or softball. I guess. I guess. (laughs) I'm excited, though, for Omaha. Omaha It's always, like, such a cool thing to watch. And no offense to college softball, but I'm ready for college baseball to start dominating ESPN and ESPN2 for the next couple weeks. Yeah, it'll be here. And I'm I'm excited for that. But I will say, in all accounts – it was a very, very good softball World Series this year, so I was okay with that taking over since we got knocked out. So Yeah, can't say I watched a single minute of that, but well, <laughs> I've well, just been watching out. basketball. I've just been watching basketball and hockey, as you know. So Well, JMU caught my eye in the game one with a uh diving tag at the plate. So I was like, I gotta yeah. watch some more of this. Yeah, Alabama pitching me. Alabama pitching was very good this year too. It was pretty good. They they, uh, they dominate from the, uh, the circle, if you will. <laughs> oh man, that was not an underlying joke for people that are listening. Um, they're just good at ba- at softball. It was good. It was good. Very good. Yeah. Better than most. A lot better than most, actually. But that I think is going to end it for us tonight. You got anything else? Yeah, no, that's better probably cut this off now before uh yeah, you know, going before too far down that hands. road. Yeah, so that is gonna end up the pickup for today. Um covered basketball, college baseball, MLB just the foreign substance tomorrow. We'll go more into depth about some other baseball stuff. We'll have some NFL talk as well, and I'll probably touch a little bit on where we're at in the hockey playoffs uh right now too tomorrow. So like I said, it's gonna wrap it up. Audio will be out Thursday night. Um, so when you wake up on Friday, it will be there. And then video will probably be out Friday evening or Friday night. And yeah, so for Drew Hartman, I'm Stephen Biddix. We're clocking out and we will see you guys next time. <laughs>